Hello listeners, welcome back for another episode of the 1970. As always, my name is Ed and joining me today is Mark Damon. Of course, we're going to be talking about the thrilling 5-0 win over Galatasaray. Uh, We've got a bunch of topics, mostly Champions League related. Uh, But first, let's get it out of the way. Mark, how are you doing, first of all? I'm doing all right, Ed. Nice to talk to you as always. As always. Yeah, I was very much looking forward to this and getting you on the show here so we can just talk about everything that's going on. So we've got our Fast Five. Luckily, Colin Cowherd did not sue me after calling it the Blazing Five. I want to know, in the 5-0 win over Galatasaray, give me one word that describes the result in your eyes. Uh, Can I use two words? I'll allow it. Just for this, I'll allow it. Feel good. Okay. I thought it was a feel good win. Like, you know, this has been a kind of, I wouldn't say a difficult month, but they haven't been playing great. They've been playing well enough to win, but we haven't had a really, like, solid, straightforward, dominant performance in a while. So to win 5-0, for all the attacking players to score, for Edson Cavani to finally score after what feels like a year and a half was... It was good. It was feel good. I I can't really pick apart that game. I mean, Galatasaray were the weakest by far team in the group. So it's not like we beat a team that was really playing well. They had a lot of injuries. Yeah, but they're a professional team. They have guys that have, you know, been around the world. They're not a young team. They got a lot of, you know seasoned professional footballers and they had a lot to play for they they were trying to get into europa league so they had something to play for yeah i wouldn't say that they have a lot of great players but they got a lot of professional guys Mm -hmm. and psg pretty much wiped the floor with them for the most part so really positive performance all around yeah i'm gonna go with two words too and say about time i mean everything you just said it had been since I guess it would have been like 3-0 against Real Madrid and maybe the Marseille win. I think it was like 4-0. It's like that's the last time we really saw this team just firing on all cylinders. And it was like uh, – and a lot of that is down to injuries and new players getting back into the team and Tuchel trying to figure things out. So this was, you know, a great sign. The old, There was nothing to play for in this game. The only thing you had to play for was just a momentum builder. And that's exactly what we got out of this match. And so hopefully this will quiet the – you know, why can't Tuchel get it right? Is he not motivating the team kind of conversation? And now we see when you have Neymar and Mbappe, you kind of play really well. It's kind of a shocker, huh? So, um, yeah, about time. I'm glad to see this. And uh, we'll see if we can wrap up 2019 with a few more wins. In the 5-0 win, we saw a link up between Neymar and Mbappe a couple times. Mbappe assisted Neymar, a brilliant assist for Neymar's first goal in the Champions League this season. And then Neymar returned the favor shortly after that. Talk to me, Mark, a little bit about their link-up play. It almost seems like they're on the same... I mean, they're friends off the pitch, but that relationship is carrying to the pitch, and you just see it through the assist, and they kind of know what the other is doing. What are you seeing out of those two? Can they keep it going, hopefully, throughout the knockout phase? Yeah, they've always had chemistry. Yeah. Like I think ever since the beginning, they've had a, a, a bit of a chemistry, and great players have chemistry. Like It's not hard to you know, take two world-class players, put them on the same lineup. And then, you know, usually it clicks like this isn't surprising. Like, it's not like, Oh my God, these guys play so well together. They've always played well together. It's just, they don't play together enough. Like that. That's really the problem here. And 
in this game, I think it was a perfect example of PSG were able to do what they like to do, which they started to do under Unai Emery, which I think they haven't been able to do as well under Tuchel. And I'm not saying that Emery was a better coach. I'm just saying that the styles were different. And PSG, when it was the Neymar, Mbappe, Cavani version, when they could just get on the break and counter teams to death and score four or five goals a game, basically doing that, that was, I think, where they really found that rhythm. And Tuchel's style is more possession. It's more, uh, it's more about sort of keeping the ball. It's more about, uh, it's not as much about sort of quick countering and quick sort of running at teams. It's more about moving the ball rather than moving the man. But I, I would say that this was a game where Galatasaray played a pretty high line and they really kind of just played into what PSG wanted to do. And they exploited those spaces in behind. I think that it's pretty clear now that Neymar is going to play this sort of free role more than even just being a winger, being up front. He's a, he just does what he does. And I don't think there's a real, you can't really like pin it down. Cause he's not really playing a 10 because he's, yeah, he's not really playing a 10. He sometimes plays on the wing. He just kind of does what he does. And I think Killian sort of plays off of that. And Right now, Icardi sort of plays off of it too, and they have a good thing going. So you can't you can't look at it and say, "Oh, you know, there's trouble here." The trouble is not going to be with those front three. Just they're too professional, they're too good, they have too much pride in what they do. It's not the issue isn't there, and I think people that think that it's there are really sort of missing the point and need to really kind of just understand that. Look professionals are going to be professionals and these are professionals like Neymar. He can be a scotch to like the other team, but he's a professional. Mm -hmm. And so is Killian and Icardi has been nothing but professional. And until they show me otherwise, I have to be able to trust that they can go out there and give these kind of performances. And they have, it was an absolutely professional performance out of Neymar in front of the home PSG crowd. And I don't know, if you heard anything, I didn't really hear too many boos or too many jeering. The The stadium wasn't as full as normal. I mean, it was a, a lesser opponent in a game that doesn't really matter. But I didn't really hear the boos, and there really shouldn't be any. I wrote a piece on PSGtalk.com, but the booing has to stop. I mean, Neymar has been professional. He's done everything. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later what he did with uh, Edison Cavani with the penalty. But he's just been a great teammate. He's been putting a lot of effort in, and he's scoring goals and assisting uh, other players for goals. And I thought that... That assist that he had to Mbappe, where Mbappe actually starts making the run before Neymar even has passed him the ball. And it's almost like they telepathically drew that up and say, okay, run right now. And then he just perfect, just inch perfect, threw a ball right to Mbappe, yeah. and he finished easily. And it's like, that is what we've been calling out for so long. I mean, Mbappe's been injured, Neymar's been injured, he's been suspended. And it's just one of the kind of letdowns in being a PSG fan that we haven't seen these two players together on the pitch together more often. I mean, this was only the third game this season that they've started. And so I'm just, I'm praying to the football gods that both of them can stay healthy because if so, we, we're one of the favorites to win the Champions League. When, you, when they can put in a performance like that, who, who's stopping that? Don't say that. 
Don't I'm saying it. I'm saying it. Hey, Bleacher <laughs> Report after the game said the same thing, and the uh, the uh, Julian Laurens and a few others said that PSG are one of the favorites. So I feel like it's okay for me to say. We have amnesia every year, and we forget that this isn't that it's not February; it's December. Yeah, that's um, true. Something I'll, I'll say about the game, though. Um, I think we've made a cottage. This football, the football universe here, we've made this cottage industry out of tactics in discussing, like, okay, you, you know, we talk too much about the manager. Like, I, I'm guilty of this. You're guilty of this. Everyone's guilty of this. We talk too much about the managers, and we forget that when football is at its best, it's really not about tactics. It's about instinct and great teams, great players just sort of have a fundamental, just ingrained understanding of how to play. And that pass by Neymar is a perfect example. The back heel by Mbappe is an example. That's just stuff, you know, by rote, you don't know it by, or just by instinct. You don't know it by, you know, Thomas Tuchel didn't tell him to make that pass. Like, coaching had nothing to do with any of that. That's footballers being at their best and playing at their best and understanding the game and the, you know, the the the, the sweet kind of art of the game rather than us just talking about what, you know, positions they're in. And I, I think you just have to know that, look, if PSG can hold themselves, you know, to a decent enough standard, if they're not collapsing in front of the goal, if they're not committing penalties, if they're not turning the ball over, if they're not doing what Buffon and Kara did last year, those skill players are going to find the back of the net. Like, when was the last time PSG was held scoreless? They don't get held scoreless very often. I think they've been held scoreless like once in the Thomas Tuchel era. I think that was against frame yeah and that I think, was kind of i think in general they have like some kind of amazing goal scoring record in the champions League. i'll have to look it up later but yeah they they are always good for at least a goal in the champions league but they always they're gonna score two or three goals mm-hmm. in any you know in any tie pretty much mm-hmm. like against manchester united last year they scored three goals against real madrid the year before they scored two like they're not gonna be shut out so it sometimes it's like, yeah, they're going to get their goals, but it's got to come down to that back line. I, I wanted to mention just, I think I've been really hard on Leandro Paredes and I think for good reason, because I think for 47 million euros, you should get more than a rotational player that comes in and like gives the starters a rest. Yeah. Like, we're all thrilled when he doesn't, you know, misplace a pass or something. We should, we should yeah, have higher expectations. No, but that, like, that's not even his problem. His problem is really actually, I think it's, it's a little more com- complex than that. He's not a great defensive player. If the other team's running at him, like, I think he needs to be in a game where he can just kind of sit in one spot and sort of dictate where he goes and moves and is able to make the passes he wants to make. If he's under pressure, he's playing in those league unmatches where those guys are like really big and physical and they keep hitting him and hitting him and he's under pressure all the time and he's got to keep running back defensively. He's kind of useless because in those games, he can't really make those passes. But in a weird way, it's like put him in a Champions League match with a team that's not really pressing him very much. He can do some things. And I think we all knew that, 
like he's a perfect kind of player for that South American style where it's not really about tackles. It's not really about any of that. It's about sort of passing and movement and all that. And I think this was a good game for him. Like he needs to have more of these games and he's got to do it in league on because let's be honest, the majority of the times he's going to play are going to be in league on like he's not going to get champions league starts very often unless somebody's hurt. Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no other place he can really do it besides, you know, league gun. So he's got to really be, he's got to really make those performances count. And I'll mention another guy in this game, Tangi Koyasa, mm. or how we say that name, Tangi Koyasi or something. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. You're close enough. Koasi. Yeah, I don't know why I was saying it weird. <laughs> Tangi Koasi. He looks like a solid enough player. Like, I think he's too good for the academy, like, right now. Like, I don't know why he's playing youth games. Like, we do have a midfield issue in the sense that none of them can ever stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And it probably makes sense for us to do a lot of rotation, especially with Guyet, who's at 30. Herrera's over 30. Verratti's reaching 30. Paredes is, like, 28, 29. So you really don't have a young midfielder in the in this team right now. Like, you know, that yeah. guy was Adrian Rabio, but he's now, you know, riding on the bench in Juventus. But does it – am I wrong? I think he should be like an everyday – even if he doesn't have a professional contract. I'm like, who gives a crap at this point? Like, yeah, But I would say he's more of a center back, and I think his second position is kind of like a defensive midfielder. And, you know, we've seen what Tuchel did with Marquinhos, and so maybe he's trying to do the same thing with Kowase. I will say it's interesting that <laughs> Manchester City were kind of sniffing around, looking at potentially signing him with his contract situation, and then all of a sudden Tuchel starts playing him in two games back-to-back. So I think Tuchel knows what he has there, and he wants to show the the young player that, hey, you know, you have a home here, you have a future, and here's some minutes in a Champions League game. So I think it's good that he plays more. I just wonder if he's a, a midfielder or a more natural center back. No, I think he's a midfielder. I think he looks like a midfielder. He's he has size that a lot of these PSG he has a size to him. Like he's a big dude. Yeah. He's big physical. He can hit people and he's 17 years old. He's not a natural anything. He doesn't sound like a 17 year old. I, I was watching some of the post-match uh, interviews after Montpellier and he has a very just calm professional kind of just way of speaking. It wasn't kind of like high energy frenetic. That sort of thing. He just, he seemed very professional and beyond his year, so I, I I really like that about him. But here's the thing: he's 17 years old. Do you did you see how he was stepping into the ball? Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't, he wasn't reading. He wasn't like playing off. He was reading the ball. He was making tackles. He was making he was making interceptions, and he was making one touch passes at some point. Like the the kid is 17 years old, and he's just pinging the ball around. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have to say it is Galatasaray, but you're right. I mean, even Galatasaray with their players, a 17-year-old shouldn't be doing that to them. I'm not saying play him against Barcelona at the camp. No, I'm saying this he's too good to be in the youth league. You mean don't like, give him what? the Lo Celso, uh, experience and just throw him to the Wolves in the Champions League? No, but you want him to start – you want him to play some games for you. Like for he sure. should be playing in the cup matches. You know, why should Marco Verratti ha- or, like, Idrissa Gay have to play these cup matches? Yeah. Like, Koyase's 
perfectly capable of playing them. Well, if he can yeah. play Galatasaray, <laughs> he absolutely can play in Liga. He's big, physical. He can he could absolutely give you quality minutes in that league, mm-hmm. and you know put you in a spot where you don't have to keep overplaying these midfielders. I think it's a no brainer right now. I think you promote him to the main to the main team permanently if you can. Yeah, I think him and Oshish, I, I would like to see both of them move up because we've got an incredible fixture uh, list in January, February, like 19 games or something and and they they have got to come on up and, and start contributing cuz we our player our first well, team cannot play that many games. Yeah, I mean Oshish not as much just because PSG have a glut at that position anyway. But yeah, he can give you some games, for sure. a couple. But I think Wasse is a guy that should be like every week with the with that team, with the main team. I don't see why he shouldn't be. There you go. Uh, let's keep going through our fast five here. I want to talk about. I mentioned it earlier the Neymar's decision that was kind of maybe um, facilitated by Mbappe, but PSG won a penalty. VAR confirmed it, and Neymar walked the ball over to Cavani and handed it to him. Cavani had come on as a substitute. Not too, maybe like in the 60th or so minute, 68th minute, um, and, and Neymar gave him the ball and said, "Hey, this is this is you. You know, go up there and score a penalty." Um, we all remember Penalty Gate, which was much overblown about you know who would take the penalties at PSG. Um, so this was kind of a nice cap on that whole situation. You had Neymar giving Cavani the opportunity. Cavani's been really struggling both with injury and form. I mean, he's had some hilarious misses this season. Um, I kind of caught some flack because I said that I would drive him to the airport in January if a team actually wanted to spend money on him. But it was great to see Cavani score. It's even better to see Neymar uh, give him the ball. He's often accused of being selfish and not caring about any of his teammates, and he doesn't love Paris and blah, blah, blah. And so for him to do this, I just thought it was a great gesture, and Cavani scored the goal, so it was even better. Um, Just quickly, what what do you make of that whole situation? Well, I want to give Neymar credit. And I'll give him some. I'll give him half the credit in the sense that it was the obvious thing to do. Like there was no good reason not to give Cavani the penalty. Like unless he just wanted to be spiteful. To I don't even think if Neymar had just decided screw this, I'm taking it. I think that would have just been more of an fu to the fans rather than like anything against Edinson Cavani because I honestly don't think he has anything against him. No, I, I honestly. I don't think he ever did. I think the issue was to not to relitigate it, but to try to go quickly through it. It's like you pay three whatever amount of money you pay for him. Neymar expects to take the penalties. If you're paying me like I'm the best player in the world, mm-hmm. if you've brought me in with all this hub, you know, hullabaloo and all the all the ballyhoo about it, I expect to take the penalties. Because I'm the better player. I'm the star of the team. Right. That's not Neymar being this selfish guy. That's just how it works everywhere. You also like, have to remember in terms of Ballon d'Or. Let's assume, let's just say, PSG win the Champions League, and they look back and they say, oh, Neymar scored X amount of goals. They don't say, well, three of them were penalties. I mean, they just talk about overall goals. And so every goal matters in the Champions League if you're trying to win that trophy. And so it is, I think, a nice gesture that he did give it to Cavani, who has no chance to win the Ballon d'Or. But no, but, it, but it's like, just to go back, it's like, you really have to understand that it's not name. I don't think that situation was Neymar being selfish. I just think that if you are a, if you are a top player 
you take the penalties. That's what Ronaldo does. That's what Messi does. And that's what Neymar should do. Now to fast forward here, it's a four nothing game. This game is, it's a, the game's not in, it's not in jeopardy. It's not like a one nothing game or a nil nil game. If it was a nil nil game, Neymar's taking that penalty. So in a way, it, it was kind of a charitable act to try to get Edison Cavani going and to make the crowd happy. Like I, I don't read into it much more than that. I think it's a nice gesture. I think Neymar w- would have done it anyway. I think Killian would have done it. And I don't sort of look at it and say, oh, you know, this is indicative of something bigger. It's a nice team building moment. It gets every, it makes everyone happy, but I, I feel like we're so far away from penalty gate at this point and that game where they beat Dijon nine nil and Neymar took the penalty to get his fourth goal. And they were mad at that. Like we have to be over that at this point. Like, we, like it's been two years and it, it just was nice for Edinson Cavani to get a goal. And if, in all seriousness, he can come on in the 70th minute of games and be a scoring threat mm-hmm. so that you don't have to play Mario Icardi 90 minutes because it doesn't seem like Mario Icardi is a 90-minute player in that, you know, like in like most strikers, you know, there's a lot of like just pure number nines that don't make it the whole game. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not it's – it's not a position that you're usually out there the whole 90 minutes unless you're just like the best striker in the world so if Cavani can offer you something off the bench like that's a plus it's an unexpected plus because I don't expect him to be able to do it but good to see him get going because maybe he can help us and that's and I think that's what Neymar and Mbappe are thinking like hey let's get this guy a goal let's let him feel the crowd and feel the adulation and maybe he can, you know, help us down the road, which I hope is the case. Yeah, I think the symbolism is important here, just with Neymar giving him the ball, because, you know, we have to remember after Neymar scored against Montpellier, I believe it was, or maybe it was Nantes. I mean, the, the fans just boo him. I think it was against Nantes. They're just like booing him and jeering him and chanting for Cavani and singing his name. And it's kind of like this was the perfect opportunity for Neymar to be maybe a little bit petulant and say, no, I'm going to take it. I don't care what the fans are saying. They want to boo me. I'm taking this penalty. And so for him to do that, I just thought it was a nice gesture and kind of goes against what everyone in the media has said about him. So I liked it from that point of view. He is professional. Mm -hmm. When he's with the team, when he's in the team atmosphere, he's a professional. Now, when he goes home to Brazil and he's got all of his friends hanging around with him, talking in his ear and all of the Barcelona agents flying over to his house and buying him, you know, empanadas or whatever, I don't know, that, that's, that's different. There's business Neymar when he's off the field, and then there's competitor Neymar. Yeah. And right now, PSG have competitor Neymar who wants to win who wants to be successful and he doesn't want to screw everything up for his own needs because that's not what he's thinking about right now. And I feel like that's what good athletes can do. They can compartmentalize here. So I have no issue with how he's comported himself this year. I think Neymar has been an ideal teammate. I think he's been a strong force of good. And 
if PSG lose in the round of 16 or the quarterfinals, it's not going to be because Neymar isn't playing well or isn't giving 100%. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, He's far exceeded anything that I thought that he would bring to the team this year after that Barcelona transfer nonsense last summer. Um, so credit to, to Neymar being professional. Um, quickly, Clash of the Ultras. I wanted to talk about what happened before the match today. I'm not even going to really say anything because I thought you said it perfectly on Twitter. If you just want to repeat that or give your thoughts on the clash between the two sets of fans. I I just, some of the images, there was like a naked guy on the street that had been beaten and stripped and someone had been taken to the hospital. Just really ugly, violent scenes that's just completely unnecessary. So if you just want to talk about that and what your opinion on because I, I agree with it 100%. Look, it, it's, it is, there's a kind of a socioeconomic uh, aspect to this in that compared to other sports around the world, football tickets are relatively inexpensive. So if you, you can, you know, the ultras can buy a whole section of the park day prawns and it's not like this massive hole in their pockets. And especially in like Turkey, like they're not paying a lot to go to these games. Like, and they build up these, and I'll call them what I called them. They're, are they ultras or are they street gangs? And you saw this in England in the 80s a lot, where you had these basically street gangs who masqueraded as sports fans who went to their game and they felt like they were a part of like the militant arm of the team. Watch uh, like, Green Street Hooligans. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the, you're, they're not, you know, you're not part of the team. You don't, you know, you watch the team. You cheer for the team. You are not part of the team. So when these, you know, ultras from Turkey and, you know, and Galatasaray come out and go to Paris for the specific reason of causing trouble and violence, and the some of the Paris ultras probably were responding in kind, like, again, are you a... What, are we at a point where this is just going to get out of control and we're back to where we were, where people are dying and you have to shut the whole party down? You don't want to do that because the ultras bring an ambiance to a stadium mm -hmm. that a lot of other teams don't have. You look in England, most of those stadiums have really sanitized atmospheres because the hooliganism and the, the street gang violence has been basically litigated out of the sport in England, in the highest level. Right now in France, you have a lot of these kind of, I think in Bordeaux, like the fans ran onto the pitch and protested. They did, yeah. yeah. No, stop them. <laughs> you know, they, they were allowed to go onto the field and protest. You had a game yesterday with Lyon and... Uh, Red was it Red Bull or whatever Salzburg or whatever it was it was Leon, and a fan comes onto the field, unfurls a banner about one of Leon's players, you know, being a donkey. I guess was the the message, and they almost almost started a fight Good with Lord. the with the players and the yeah. fans. Like this is terrible. This is this is the ridiculousness that we that you have to deal with in with some of these fans, and I think PSG are trying to play this game of. We we're with the ultras. We like the ultras. We celebrate the ultras. But then, 
stuff like this happens, and maybe it's not their fault, but it makes you think, is this worth it? Mm. Is it worth it to associate with this kind of violence and this kind of um, this kind of hooliganism? And I think that we it, there's going to come a point where I think PSG are going to have to make that call, and I hope it doesn't come to that. But all the, the evidence is showing me that there is a potential that that happens where they where they get themselves rebanned. Yeah, we all love the the scenes in Manchester and Liverpool when our you know PSG fans are singing. They got the flares and the everything, and, and and they just take over the city. We all love that, but what we don't like is when you know our set of fans and another set of fans start beating each other over the heads with a lead pipe. I think that's where we have to draw the line. So it'll be something to keep an eye on. We love the the atmosphere at the Parc de France. We don't want that to change. But again, you just you can't have people going to the hospital and fighting and police resources for this nonsense. I think Le Prisien had said that UEFA rated this a four on the scale of five in terms of how dangerous the game could be with the sets of fans. And um, Jonathan Johnson pointed out, I think it was 10 years, 11 years ago. I mean, these two sets of fans have clashed before. So they knew what was coming um, and they did the best they could. But still, people got hurt. So, yeah, I echo everything you said. We got to get that nonsense out of the game. Um, last of our five topics, I wanted to touch on something you had just tweeted out momentarily ago. Julian Laurence, ESPN uh, correspondent, he, he was talking about how this season could be Tuchel's last because of the incident that happened with Kylian Mbappe. If you remember, um, Tuchel took him off in the 90th minute against Montpellier for really no reason whatsoever that I could tell. And Mbappe was not happy about it, covered his mouth, had something to say, didn't look at his manager. Tuchel was kind of like holding him and trying to explain and the point that Lawrence was trying to make was that, you know, he did it just to prove to Mbappe that he can do it and that he's the manager and what he says goes. I didn't necessarily read it that way, but I don't know. I, I felt like it was very reactionary from Julian Lawrence. The, the only way we know that this will be Tuchel's last year is if he doesn't do well in the Champions League. That's it. Not having anything to do with this incident. But, yeah, go ahead. It's mind reading. I don't like it when journalists mind read. And this is one of those where... Is he a journalist, though? I've, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what he is. Uh, but here's the, here's the problem. These... Trying to look, you know, trying to look through dirty windows and try to pick up any little scrap of evidence for whatever you want to say isn't a great journalistic tactic. Like, sometimes there are just bigger truths that overshadow everything else. And what I mean by that is, like you just said, Tomas Tuchel is not going to be fired because Kylian Mbappe was mad that he took him out of a game in December. That's stupid. And to think that that's sort of a preceding event is stupid. It's the same reason like Unai Emery was not fired because of penalty gate. Unai Emery was fired because he couldn't because his team against Real Madrid in the round of 16 just didn't play at all well enough to even be competitive. Like, that's the big, the big overarching thing here is the results. Like, if Killian wants another coach at the end of the year, if he wants to stay around and he thinks that Tomas Tuchel's not the coach he wants to play for, 
I'm sure he and Leonardo can have a conversation about that, and I'm sure Leonardo will take his opinion into account. But in the end, it's really up to Thomas Tuchel if he stays or not, or if he wants to stay. Mm -hmm. And I think trying to look at these isolated incidents to make some sort of bigger picture, it's a really dangerous road to go down, especially when there's no evidence. Like, nobody told Julian Laurence that's what Thomas Tuchel was doing. He assumed it, right. I think, unless he says, hey, Tomas Tuchel told me this, or hey, someone close to Tomas Tuchel told me this, that's different than just sort of making something up based on what you believe, based on what you see, which is not, it's more analysis than anything else. And I don't take analysis with as serious a um, an eye as like, actual hard journalism where people do sourcing and i think that you have to really just look at that kind of content and go clickbait because unless it's backed up by something rather than some dude's opinion it's clickbait and you know there's this other art there was this other thing i think that was like i saw on the timeline too where it's like would Neymar going to Liverpool screw up their, their locker room? Yeah, that was uh, Craig Burley again, ESPN, uh, talking about that. Question, why is that even a topic? Well, I, 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 yeah, I'll say just because um, there was a piece, because I, I wrote about it, I think it was Le Parisien, or you know, some reputable paper that said that there were six teams that were interested in Neymar and Mbappe, and Liverpool was one of the clubs mentioned. So I think that's where it came from. But then they just kind of taken it and spiraled it out of control. There are six teams, just six. Yeah, I think there's only six that can probably afford them. But I, I don't think Liverpool could afford either one of them. But No, but it's but it's still it's stupid to say, like, what you know what would happen if Neymar went to Liverpool? Honestly, they would win. They probably win the Champions League and they probably win the double. I don't know. He, does, he doesn't like the weather in Paris. I think he would he would hate it in Liverpool. I'm just saying, though, if you replaced him with Sadio Mane, they'd probably they'd, they'd be better. I'm sorry. They'd be better, and I'm sure he would play for Jurgen Klopp. Like, I don't even want to go down this road because it's stupid. But, yeah, he would play with those guys. He'd play with Alice, with Alisson and Roberto Firmino, and he. I think he'd be fine. Yeah. Like, that's the people understand. Neymar is not here to go destroy people's locker rooms. It's not like PSG had the greatest locker room. People forget this. That didn't, you know, have it, that, you know, have just started, like, paying attention. PSG's locker room was not healthy before Neymar got there. Like, during this Laton and the. Oh, yeah. In the Laton era, that was not a healthy locker room. That dynamic was not ideal. And they still, you know, survived it. They still, you know, went through with it. Yeah. Neymar hasn't made the environment worse. It's, if anything, it's the same. PSG have had these problems long before Neymar showed up. So for this kind of clickbait stuff, it's just, it's really for people that aren't very smart. It's meant to make, it's meant to sound smart if you're not thinking about it any bit. It's like, it's what people think smart people are. Or the, it's what stupid people think that a smart person's argument is. And it's just, it's not. It's its not intelligent. It's not perceptive. It's clickbait. It's lowest common denominator. 
and I think that people deserve better content, like stuff that makes people think. Like I enjoy anything Gab Marcotti puts out because mm-hmm. he thinks. He's a thinker. He's logical. He uses logic. He understands that he's not making these big, broad, general arguments. He's going case by case, and he's giving his opinion with the best knowledge he has. Like, he's good. Our friend John is good. Mm -hmm. Like, there are people in this media that are quality, and they're just drowned out by this sort of carnival barker stuff that people like Julian Lorenz does. Like, it is. It's carnival barker stuff. It's... It's, you know, come see the, you know, it's come see the person bite the heads off the chickens. Like it's, it's geek show in the sense that it's not based off of any, it's not, it's, it's insulting your intelligence as somebody who knows better. And it goes to our worst instincts where everything has to be drama. Everything has to be hyped up to the nth degree. And we have to make these arguments based off of things that don't even exist. It's like, it really is. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, what, you know, oh, if Neymar went to Liverpool, he'd destroy the locker room. Like, what kind of, what kind of discussion is that? What is that based in? It's not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. We're just having conversations to fill time. And that, to me, is stupid content for stupid people you can't make anything out of that that's not substance that's not an argument about tactics and i've heard those guys have good tactical arguments like burley is actually an intelligent like football mind not the most intelligent but he's mildly intelligent he can have a cogent argument so can ali moreno and so can uh shaka hislop not what's the other guy's name um, oh, the, Steve Nichol. Can't no, he's he's too far gone. He's actually an idiot. But, yeah, but some of them can actually have these arguments, and they just go to this lowest common denominator stuff that apparently makes you money off the advertising, but kind of is like, gee, are we willing to sell our souls that much? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm waiting for the right time, probably after the new year, but I, I, I'm going to write a piece about ESPN. Some things that I've noticed just from their coverage of PSG that I want to bring to light. And I think PSG fans will really enjoy that. So keep an eye out for that. But that was our five topics. Um, Mark, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with our main event where we're going to be talking about potential matchups in the champions league. All right. Welcome back, Mark with that five nil win. Well, actually, before that, we were already top of the group. So we will go into first place in pot one. The draw is on December 16th to see who PSG plays in the knockout phase. But we already know the potential candidates. So there's Tottenham, Atalanta, Atletico Madrid, Napoli, Dortmund, and Chelsea. Who of that group do you want to play? And then the other question I want to ask you is, and we kind of hinted at it earlier, do you think PSG should be the favorites of all of the teams uh, going into the knockout phase. So you, I'll let you take it from here. Uh, second question first. No, we're not the favorite. Is it Liverpool? Are they the favorites? <laughs> well, they're more favorite than we are. I mean, okay. they actually won the thing recently. Yeah. Let's be honest. They actually won it. Like that. that I think that makes them favorites over us. Okay. Um, 
So let's see. I'd say Barcelona, Liverpool, um, Bayern, and maybe Juventus. I think we're in that category, top five maybe. But I wouldn't say we're the favorite. We're a team that can win it, which is different than saying you're the favorite. Like, if there's 100% odds, and I think we'd have, like, 10 to 15% chance of winning. You know, Juventus would have, like, a 10 to 15% chance. Maybe Liverpool a 20% chance. I don't know. Like, around that. So, so I would saying there's it, a chance. There's a chance. There's absolutely a chance if things break right, if the team comes together. But, and, and I don't want to, like, say who I'd like mm-hmm. because that always usually backfires because I like I liked the idea of playing Manchester United last year until I didn't. Yeah. Um, I think that Atletico would present a challenge. They don't really have they, any strikers, though. No, but they can kind of, they can neutralize what we can do offensively mm-hmm. and they can counter pretty well, so it puts PSG in a bit of a situation where they're going to have to not it, it it's a really a tactically ta- it's a taxing tactical kind of game and matchup where they have to really be on their game they can't make mistakes and they have to be clinical with their finishing and i'm not sure PSG are ready for that kind of game yet in its current form Dortmund would be interesting because the atmosphere there is good. They have good young players. But I think we'd be slight favorites. Tottenham, I think, is the most sort of even matchup in the sense that they present problems for us. They have several of our old players, too. What? Yeah, we present problems for them. Like... I think we're going to have some difficulty playing Harry Kane. I think they're going to obviously have difficulty with Neymar and Mbappe's speed. They struggled defensively recently. We've struggled historically in the Champions League defensively in these knockout stages. Mourinho is a good coach, but he might be a little past his prime. Tuchel's a good coach, but he might not quite be ready yet. So they kind of cancel each other out there. Like I think that would be the most kind of intriguing even match mm-hmm. we're not drawing at atlanta so i'm not even gonna like mention it because that's just not going to be allowed to happen no um manchester city can't get them right i don't think because they usually get no. the easiest yeah they they can't they actually have to maybe play a real team in the round of 16 this year wow um wouldn't that be something <laughs> um napoli would be interesting although i think we're better i think last year's matchup was a little flukish in that psg just weren't quite with it at that point. If we don't they, draw, if we don't draw them, I can see us maybe signing one of the, one or two other players in January because it's a fire sale there, and they just fired Carlo Ancelotti, so that's a team very much in dumpster yeah, fire territory. Napoli will give you a challenge, but I still think you'd favor PSG. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think actually, you know, it wouldn't be that you might. You absolutely would favor PSG in yeah, that for matchup. Sure. What am I missing? Chelsea. That's who I wouldn't mind playing. I think the easiest of all Another- of these. I want. There's another one I missed. I want to get to Chelsea. Uh, Dortmund, Chelsea, Napoli, Atalanta. No, you got them. Tottenham. And there's a sixth one. I've got Tottenham, missed, Atalanta, just, Atletico, Napoli, Dortmund, Chelsea. Okay, so I have gone through all of them. Yeah, okay, you got you good. Did. Right. Chelsea. All right, we'll edit all that out. 
I like the idea of facing this Chelsea team because they are good. They have talent, but they're young and they're inexperienced. And they have a lot of guys on that roster that are either really kind of over the hill, like Ashpilaqueta, and uh, they have they have like Ashpilaqueta and who's the other? One? They still have Marcos Alonso. Uh, I don't know. I don't follow Chelsea that much. <laughs> okay, I can look it but, up. Keep talking. Yeah, they have some older players. They have N'Golo Kante, who's a great player, but he's not been. This hasn't been his best year, and a lot of young guys up front. And I think that PSG would do well to play a team that they can sort of have an experience edge over. And I think that playing them would actually be sort of the sweet spot matchup where it's not like you don't take them lightly, but you're also not intimidated by them either. Like I do think that would kind of be the sweet spot for PSG to land, if if at all possible. Alonso does play for Chelsea still. Yeah, so it, I think there is. I think that's the sweet spot. I think you want a team that you're not going to take lightly, but you also want a team that you can get up. You know that you can not be intimidated by when you walk into the stadium. Yeah, obviously, Atletico. Worst case scenario, that's the the toughest opponent. I think we would be favored, but still, you don't want to. If you can avoid them, the better. Okay. Um, I think Tottenham would be the second hardest after them. And I think originally I had said I wouldn't mind playing them. I think it would be a fun game. Just so many ex-players there in Mourinho. But I am deathly scared of losing that tie. And and that being the Jose Mourinho welcome back to football. And just seeing him strut up and down celebrating at the Parks of Prince. Like, I don't want any parts of that. And so I'm going to just sit them to the side. Like, I don't want to play them. I think we could beat them. But if for some reason we don't, like, I'm just, I would be devastated. I don't want to see that. Um, you definitely... I would prefer to play at Salanda, even though they're young and they're playing really well. That's a team that we would just overmatch considerably. Um, so that's who I think we would definitely want to play. After them, I would definitely, like you, Chelsea, I think that would be great. I would love to, to crush Christian Pulisic. I'm a Christian Pulisic hater. And then somewhere in the middle, Napoli and Dortmund are kind of interchangeable. I wouldn't be terribly upset with either one of those. Um, the best thing is, is that we don't have any lower level team meaning all the teams in the in the round of 16 are from the top five leagues so we don't have to go to potentially like ukraine or russia or something like that so all of these trips are relatively reasonable um flights for the team so i think that will help um but yeah that's kind of who i'm hoping and in terms of who if i think psg are the favorites i think they're right behind liverpool as the favorites i i just think you look at that team you know on paper there's no other team in europe that can match up with them the only thing they're missing is the mentality and the history, and that's it. If they're healthy. Yeah, if they're healthy, no one can match up with them. Well, and it's just, yeah, and there, but again, there still is the element of, you know, self-destruction that can happen. And you can't, and you can't really put that to bed until you put it to bed, and we haven't done that yet. Every time we think we have, it always comes back in one way or the other, so... They've kind of started to put that to bed. I would say that they've fluffed the pillows and you know pulled up the sheets in that 2-2 draw against uh, Real Madrid. I would say they're getting ready to, to put that whole mentality thing to bed, but they need to do it in this next round. You're right. It can be away for a while, and then it eventually just comes back. And it comes back for the worst time. 
like it did last year. But I don't think you can live in that kind of fear. I think the whole thing here is it does. It shouldn't matter who PSG play. Honestly, like if you're if you're an elite level team, you don't care. You don't have you don't have to have these conversations. Like we're having this conversation because we genuinely believe, or we might believe that whoever we get affects our performance. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to be that way. I want us to be like, yeah, okay, we'll play anybody. Uh, that's where I'd rather be as a as a as a club. Like, I don't think Liverpool fans are really caring about who they play. I think they'll play anybody. I think Barcelona fans. Yeah, I don't think care. I think they'll play anybody. I think we need to get to that point as a fan base and as a club, and hopefully we can start doing that this year. I would say though, with those two clubs, they don't Barcelona doesn't have to worry about Messi leaving if they don't make it to the quarterfinals, and Liverpool doesn't have to really worry about you know Salah leaving if they don't reach the semifinals because they've won, and both of those players are not threatening to leave. For for PSG, we need the easiest opponents to get as far as we can to convince Neymar and Mbappe to stay at least one more year if possible. Like it's it's not only do we want to win. But we also need to keep these players. And if, if we need to get to the semifinals to keep them, then I want to play the worst teams possible just to get there because it's important that we keep these players. Um, so that's kind of – it's kind yeah. of like a two, two-fronted two war there. But, kind of... but look, they're not – Kylian Mbappe and Neymar are not stupid. If we draw Atalanta and then draw Napoli in the round of, in the quarterfinals and then lose to – Bayern Munich in the semifinals. They're not, not going to go. Oh well, we beat Atalanta in the round of sixteen. That we're going in the right. We're really going in the right direction. But it could help them with the Ballon d'Or, which apparently for some reason they really care about. Yeah, but I don't. I don't even think that's the the thing. I think it's. I think it's showing that you can compete mm-hmm. with the best teams at the highest level. If it's a three-two, you know, tie and like. Both teams are playing well, and it just happened to be one play here or there that they cost it. I think that's okay. okay. I think losing six one to Barcelona. I think laying an egg in the Parque des Princes against Real Madrid. I think Manchester committing, United. committing, you know, Sunday football mistakes, you know, public mistakes against a Manchester United B team. I think that's the stuff that turns top players off because it's like. Not to get too deep into this, but that's the culture that we're trying to to reform here, which is that it doesn't matter how much talent you have. It's about what's been between the ears. And they need to start showing that. And I don't mind if, the, if they get a decent team in the round of 16 because they're going to have to start showing this and getting themselves through these and over these hurdles. And, and the good thing is, other than Atalanta, I would say all of those other teams, if PSG advances past them, all of them would be a feather in the cap because I think all of those teams are good. And all of them are brand names. You're not playing a Shakhtar Donetsk. I mean, you're a Napoli, Atletico, Chelsea. These are name brands. So I think that win over them would definitely go a long way, even if Chelsea is led by, you know, 12-year-olds and and Marcus Alonso. <laughs> so, um, all right, let Mark, let's get you out of here with a couple Twitter questions quickly, quickly. Uh, let me pull up a good one. Here we go from at D seven Eisenman. He wants to know what is the midfield combination you want to see in the knockout stage, assuming everyone's healthy. Who do you, who do you want to see? Assuming everyone's healthy. You see, 
Tuchel's experimented a little bit in that game. That was a 4-4-2 that he played. And I think that that actually might be something worth looking at. With Icardi and Mbappe up front. Yeah, in bigger matches. Because it it really gave Neymar and uh, Sarabia a lot of space. Yeah, Sarabia especially was great. Let's, I'll put it like this. Marco Verratti has to be in there, and Idrissa Gay will probably be in there. Now, the question is, if you play with the three midfielders, it might have to be Herrera, or it might have to be Marquinhos in there. It's a hard conversation because you don't know what you have. But yeah. if all things being equal, I think Tuchel will stay with the the Verratti, um, the Verratti, uh, Gouillet, Marquinhos midfield. We'll see because now Kimpembe's out for a month. That's so we I, don't know. Yeah. What- That's what I was going to say. And I think you're going to score goals in the Champions League, like we talked already. It's all about the defense. And I think if you've got a center back pairing, Marquinhos, which is that's his preferred position alongside Thiago Silva, that shares things up at the back. And then in the midfield, you can have Variety and Idrissa Gay. That should be enough defense, a mixture of defense and offense. I mean, they should be able to do it. And like you were saying, I love that Mbappe, Icardi up front with maybe Neymar kind of floating around, maybe a Di Maria. Um, I just, at this point, I don't think you can rely on Kimpembe. I don't know if Diallo is a starting center back in in the semifinal of a Champions League. So I think maybe just those two, Verratti, Idrissa Gay in the midfield, move Marquinhos back. Who thought it worked? I thought it was interesting because it's like it's weird. It, it's almost like it traps the, the opponent in a vice because it, it allows Neymar and Sarabia and Mbappe or Di Maria to get behind the mid, the opponent's midfield, mm-hmm. like suck them into the midfield, pick them off, and then counter, which it actually looked kind of nice. So I, I do think they should experiment with that because I think the four three three was getting a little stale. Like little it was just. It, it wasn't working right. So going to something different like a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2 might not be the worst idea in this situation to just see if you can get some life going. Because it really was. It was The 4-3-3 was bogging down. And it really showed in that Real Madrid match where the 4-3-3 was just really ineffective. Yeah, you got to play to your strengths. And I think this formation would definitely lean more towards PSG's strength as yeah. an offensive team. And that's where their strength is. That's where all of their money is. It would be like, um, you know, NFL teams spending, you know, a ton of money on a great quarterback and then running the ball all the time. It's like, you got this guy, throw the ball, you know, it's play to your strengths. You have Neymar and Mbappe, go for it, score goals, try to outscore everyone. You might leak a goal or two because your midfield isn't packed and you don't have Marquinhos up there, but play to your strengths. So that's who we would think. Um in the midfield in Champions League. Let's get one more question. This is from at still Repin Nola, and he wants to know what would have, have to, what would have to happen at this point for PSG to not make Icardi's loan permanent. I see no way that it can happen. He's been fantastic. I, I wanted to ask this question because there was a story where I, there was potentially a clause where Icardi could turn down an offer from PSG. And, and so basically PSG can't just pay whatever amount of money and keep them permanently. Like Icardi could say, eh, I want to go back to Italy. Um, but do you think Leonardo is going to at least make the attempt? I think he has to at this point. He's been phenomenal. Well, the door is seemingly closed at Inter. Like, Romelu Lukaku, if you watched the game yesterday against Barcelona, Lukaku was good. Like, Lukaku's, as long as, you know, I don't even mean to be, like, glib about this, but as long as, like, the racism isn't that bad. Mm. You know, it's Italy, so you never know. It's, it is what it is, but... 
as long as Lukaku's good there, Lukaku's going to you know be the start the starting number nine. He took Icardi's place. Yeah. And where would so, you go? AC Milan. I mean, they're not even going to be in the Champions League next season. No. Napoli is a dumpster fire. Juventus doesn't want them probably. Yeah, I don't. I think that PSG could get that done if they again show that he is their undisputed starting number nine. And I think that's part of why Cavani hasn't like been able to get a spot back. Cause it's like, they're trying to sell Mauro Riccardi here on playing permanently. And if you are, you know, playing him every other time, every other match and you're getting Cavani starts, it's like, yeah, it's not good luck. Is that? <laughs> so I think PG are making a business decision there and it's probably the right one to invest in a Cardi. And it's not a it's it's not a large loan. It's sixty five million. Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a large call. So I think PSG would easily make that call. I think uh, I think Acardi would take it because he if he wants to go, he could probably go at some point somewhere else. He's still young enough. So it's not like this is his last major deal with a team. Like he yeah. he can he's twenty six. Yeah, he'll be 30 at the end of it if he stays at PSG, or he'll be 28 or 29 when he wants to go somewhere else. But there's, I don't think there's teams banging down the door. Now, here's what I think will happen. I think that Barcelona will try to fuck with it a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Because Luis Suarez will be... Is Luis Suarez is, what, 34 now? Something like that? I don't know what, what he is. And I think Whatever he is, but he's older. He's an older man. He's an older gentleman. He likes to bite people. Yes. I think that they will, you know, muddy the waters a little bit. Maybe like, oh, Barcelona wants Mauro Icardi or something like that. Mm, But there really isn't a great option for him. I think that would pretty much be subterfuge. He's not a, he's not a Premier League player. He's not a term. He's not going to go to the Bundesliga. He's not going to go to the Premier League. Like, I think he. I think PSG is the option. I think it's his. I think it's one of his better case scenarios. And if he keeps scoring goals, it's going to be hard for Argentina to say no. We don't want you. So if he wants to get back into the national team, being at PSG and banging in goals every game might be a way to do it. Um, I think you're right. I don't think Premier League or Bundesliga. I just don't see a lot of options. Uh, Italy probably has had enough of them. Yeah, this was a perfect storm, I think, for PSG. They got a guy in the right circumstance, and he's performing for them, and I think he enjoys being there. So I don't, like, uh, I think it's a, a, a solid, right now I'd put it like 85, 90% that he stays, but that obviously could change, but. Yeah, I, I, there were some rumors that they were trying to get a deal done as soon as possible, but, you know, they're they're trying to get something done with Mbappe and Neymar as well. So he's kind of probably been put on the back burner a little bit. Um, but I think his deal will get done. Um, and thank you, Inter, for basically giving us a prolific striker and his prime for an extremely reasonable price. I mean, that doesn't happen every day. And, and salt to the wound, Inter is out of the Champions League after yesterday's loss to Barcelona. So not so great over with the Serie A team. Um, thank you for everyone else that sent in questions, but that's all the time we have. We're coming up on an hour. We've already kept Mark longer than we anticipated. Um, as always, thank you for listening to the 1970 and reading and following along with all of our content on PSG talk. Mark, remind the folks how they can find you on social media. Uh, at Mark Damon one. 
Wonderful. All right, we'll catch you all next time. See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>